Good afternoon, church. Uh, my name is A.C. Stedman. I'm a covenant member here at The Well, and my wife and I serve as CG Shepherds for the Northwest Community Group. Uh, for today's passage, I'm reading Psalm 142. A Maskell of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cried to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the giving. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. All right, redeemed of God, how are we? Good, good. Good to be here with you all this afternoon. Um, Hey, I love you all dearly, and uh, I hope that today's message is even going to make that a little bit more clear. Uh, It's been pretty clearly a tough last month for me in different ways, and um, honestly, the truth of a lot of what we are about to share um, is really spreading some of the realities as to how the Lord has used this body uh, to keep me and I think others together in the midst of this season and in many ways uh, exhausted yet pursuing. If you remember that from our Judges series, uh, that's still the reality for us here today. And so as we're continuing on this series, we're talking about the importance of community, of literally uh, living or making our home in the midst of community. And today's sermon is entitled, uh, Isolation is Hell. Uh, I wrote this title after coming inside this week after talking on the phone outside while wearing black jeans in this Texas July. And I thought, man, isolation's a lot like this, all right? It's like coming from inside in Texas in the middle of the summer, wearing black jeans. It's hellish. I don't know why I do that, all right? Um, But it's not a stretch to say that isolation is a form of hell, Uh, For to be isolated from God and isolated from God's people is where the not good begins to enter back into our world and our lives. What I know to be true is that the enemy tries to distort and corrupt the cross of Christ and the things that that cross accomplished. And one of the biggest things that Christ accomplished was our community with one another. This is part of what the blood of Jesus purchased, the body or the family of God. And in the devil's deceitful schemes, I know that he tries to corrupt this work and I believe that he tries to corrupt this work in a multitude of ways. Uh, I say a multitude because despite the kind of plain thinking that you would gather from this title, it's not just isolation from God's people or from God's church that begins to create isolation in our hearts. There's many forms that I think the devil tries to confuse us in to begin to create isolation within us. In fact, I believe that most forms of isolation happens when there's tons of people around us, we are just hiding in plain sight. 
I wanna look at three different forms of isolation that kind of bring chaos or the absence of God or hell into our lives. The first one there is fairly obvious, but the other two I think we're more susceptible to. Now there are more than three, okay, but I wanna highlight these three today in light of the sermon and where we are going. And those three forms are isolation from community, isolation from confession, and isolation from counsel. Community, confession, and counsel. I better get an amen from my type A people up in here. I gave you the sermon up front, y'all, all right? It must have been a hard month, okay? Uh, let's dive into our text. Uh, David, he has been uh, really betrayed by some people that he has served faithfully here in Psalm 142. Uh, I say this intentionally up front before diving into the text because I think that our experiences tend to give us leeway to forsake the commandments of God. We think that our experience is so devoid from anything that God has ever spoken that because of what we experience, we can forsake the scriptures and the things that God says. But this is not true, family. In fact, David has experienced isolation and betrayal in ways that you and I could never even imagine. And while I hate that at times in the midst of this broken world, we experience uh, the really painful effects of sin in our lives, I still believe that what the devil tries to do is take that pain and use it to work against the good things of God. I'm using the term devil very intentionally here because that word devil means deceiver, and that is one of the names of Satan. He tries to deceive us into not believing the truth and the beauty of God. And what the evil one I believe is trying to do is he's trying to take your experiences and deceive you into forsaking all of the good things that God has for you because of the bad that you have experienced. So just because some people have acted like an enemy to you, beloved, does not mean that God's commands are bad, all right? Certain people may forsake God's command, and through this, they may bring about death. But just because you've experienced this from others doesn't mean that God's command in and of itself is bad. It just means that people have broken that command in some ways showing how good these commands actually are if godly people would but bring it about because of how much destruction the bad has been created from the forsaking of the commands in the first place. You follow him? You see, when there's all this corruption and chaos, it must be that if there's an upholding of this, then there must be life and good created in contrast. And so when God says things like Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25, right, that we are, should consider how to stir up one another towards love and good deeds, not forsaking the meeting together as is the habit of some, but actually doing it all the more as we see the day drawing near, just because some people have taken and twisted or misapplied or forsaken that does not mean that those commands, that this word is bad in and of itself. Self. In fact, I believe it's really good. And I hope to God that as we see some of the effects of some really authentic and beautiful community lived out, that we would even be healed from some of the past experiences that we have experienced to trust the goodness of God as is revealed to us through God's word. In fact, that's why I've been so burdened this month in particular, but I hope to God that what you feel is experiencing the, the, the beautiful community that is around us and 
healing within that community that you may forsake those experiences and recognize the devil's schemes and recognize where God is trying to interact with that and continue to submit yourself to the ways of God. That within this community, you're experiencing these, these foretastes, like, like the appetizers to the entree of the kingdom of God, and that they would allure you into that. Further, I hope because you're experiencing life and healing in this community, that you're able to then bring this same sort of life and healing into others, even the very ones who may have been offenders of God's command that hurt you in the first place, that gospel explosion may come because of that hurt and because of your belief and submission to Christ. Y'all feeling me? Okay, and so David experienced a lot of hurt from really, really close people that made him write this psalm. He experienced it from kings in high positions. He experienced it from his wife. He experienced it from his son and from his commander and from one of his closest friends. He experienced it from his father and from his brothers. Like David knows what it's like to experience isolation more than you and I could ever really imagine. And this psalm, it was actually pinned in one of those seasons of isolation after experiencing some betrayal. But if you look at what David is doing, you'll realize there's hope interwoven all throughout this psalm that should encourage us to pursue one another the way that Christ pursues us. And so let's chop through this, okay? Verses one through two is David's plea. This is him pleading out to God for certain things in his life. Now, if you read a psalm, you can always tell the emotional condition of David by the pronouns that he uses throughout the psalm. I tried to put the whole psalm on the screen here, so it's kind of condensed, but I wanted you to see all of the pronouns that David uses all throughout the psalm, all of these personal words that he's saying, right? These me's and these I's and, and my's, and they're especially pronounced in verses one and two, where he says, I cry, or I plead for mercy, or I pour out my complaints or my troubles. Like, like David is hurting here, y'all. Uh, I'm not being hyperbolic and saying that he's experiencing a form of hell. Because you see, crying out or, or pleading or complaining, like this sounds a lot like how Jesus described the rich man in Luke 16 who was experiencing hell. David is feeling the effects of this in real life, like in his world that he is living in. Now, a quick and really important side note, but it's important as we try to journey through this today. Notice in that psalm that David is complaining to God, but he is not complaining about God. Now, tracking with that? Like, this would have been really easy for David to do, to feel like he's in the situation that he's in because God has been doing something in his life and all of a sudden to begin to turn his complaints about God. But David knew that even though man was fallen, God is not. That God is not the one to blame here. Notice towards the end of the psalm, which we'll get to in a second, but God is David's shelter. He is his portion. He is his deliverer, etc. This isn't uh, God doing this in isolation. God is in the business of creating good. It is the enemy and sinful man who is creating the harm in David's life. And so when we complain, I want us to recognize there's actually power in complaining to God. 
So often though, I believe our temptation is to complain about God, making him the problem rather than the very one that can deliver us from the problem of our situation. And when we begin to complain about God, making him the problem, we're actually complaining about the only one who can bring deliverance. We're kind of setting ourselves in a bad position, family. And so it is good to complain to God, but we gotta realize that though we may complain to him, we must also recognize he may be the only one that can bring us through the situation that we're in. And so David is hurting here, we see that. But why, why is he hurting? Well, verses three through four show us David's plight. It's what he's experiencing right now in this moment. Here comes that alliteration, family. Got it going, all right? Travis tried to show me up last week with all those C's, okay? And so I'm one-upping them this week. I'm doing three C's and four P's. Holla at me, player, all right? Uh, Look at this section. Why is David pleading in verses one through two? Well, it's because he's in isolation. He says in verse four that nobody cares about this dude's soul. Have you ever felt like that? Like maybe nobody cares about you, but like your soul, Most of us are so infrequent in doing soul care that we don't even really know what that feels like. But David here is feeling that nobody cares about his very existence. I mean, dog, this is some violently strong language. And I think it's easy to feel like this in times of hurt and sorrow or during times of betrayal or even just in times of us shrinking back from community around us. We can feel like, man, does anybody really care about me? Does anybody really uh, a desire for me to be around them or, or does anybody really care about the condition of my soul? Notice that David is devoid of God's people here and this is why he's experienced in this. In verse three, he says that people are against him, putting him in a form of isolation. In verse four, he says that nobody can see him. In fact, there's no safety because he's in the midst of this cave with no real community around him and nobody really cares for him. So isolation, whether it is because of people's sins against you or our lack of fighting for community, it is a form of hell, family of God, that Jesus died to counteract. David is experiencing hell on earth. Notice, even at the fall, the thing that Jesus reversed at his death, that immediately what we see right after Adam and Eve's sin was this hostility, not just between God and man, but between man and man as well. God comes down and and says, hey, Adam, where are you? And what Adam says right away is, the woman that you gave me made me do this thing. Immediately putting this hostility, rejecting his own sort of uh, experience, his own problem in the midst of that matter, and putting the blame on somebody else, creating this division, that was what Christ died to counteract, was the division, not just between you and God, but between you and man as well. Jesus' death on the cross went to purchase that. What Adam and Eve experienced was a cursed death, but Jesus had this blessed death that broke that and encouraged us to love one another. In John chapter 15, he says this, right? In verse 12, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love for us? He laid down his life and he sacrificed and he he gave all of himself. That's how much he loved. 
And he goes on and says, look, greater love has no one than someone who lays down his life, not just for his God, not just for his family, but for his friends, for his community, for the fellowship with one another. This is part of the work of Christ. We talked about this a lot in week one, so I'm not gonna belabor too much here, but we have to counteract the temptations to live in the fall again, family. I think we have these temptations of rather than living in the finished work of Christ on the cross, we, limit, uh, we live in the, the, the mess of Genesis 3 once again. And part of how we counteract that is we live in community and we fight for community just like David was desiring to do in the midst of this psalm. And listen, y'all, like, I get it, okay? It's kind of hard to live in community because people are scary at times. And so isolation seems to be a better answer than continually being wounded from people around you. Like it's much easier to protect yourself and to be like, yeah, I'm never going to let that type of wounding happen again. But can I share really fast, like just as best as I can, respectfully, but even vulnerably a little bit right now in the midst of this season of uh, attempting isolation even for myself? Like over the past month, I've felt that, that pull and that urge to kind of isolate and protect and to kind of put up walls around me. And it's actually really easy to kind of personally retreat and to isolate right now. But every time I do that, what happens is is somebody else sends me another card or another email or another text or another call. Like I've gotten over 70 of these things, right? And all of them have been really, really encouraging. People telling me that, hey, like they love me or telling me that I was leading really, really well in this season when I feel the exact opposite because of all of the chaos around me. And it's like, no, like I need every single one of those, y'all. Like every single one of them to remind me of how community kind of carries us to the feet of Jesus at times. But because of my hurt, the temptation then is to isolate, even if that's just subconsciously, because sin always breeds more sin. And so just like holiness can actually breed holiness in each other's life, so sin against you can begin to breed more sin in your life as well. And so I'm hurt, I desire to then isolate, not act like Christ and fight for community and not receive the benefits of the cross, but my soul, literally, as David is saying, even in the midst of this psalm, needs the exact opposite thing, y'all. Like my soul needs the body of Christ to endure in the midst of this world. Are y'all tracking with this? Like I feel like I can't emphasize this enough, y'all. You're not gonna make it to the finish line if your community ain't helping carry you there. You're not going to be able to endure till the end. You do not have enough endurance by yourself. Like you need community around you because every day I feel the temptation of verses three through four, like my spirit fainting, but then all of a sudden something happens that reminds me of community. Even this week on Thursday, you know, we're moving all over the place and having like 5,000 different houses. We're like, hey, like, let's get an Airbnb and let's try to stay there for like 36 days, right? Like we're gonna stay there, we're gonna be in one place, hopefully our house is ready. We get there and it's filthy, y'all. Bugs all over the place, like roaches, like spider webs and cobwebs all over the place, like dirt all over the place. Like it was filthy. It, it was terrible. And so we walked in and I'm just ready to act real pagan, y'all. Like, 
And right away, I was like, I already know. I just hit up Sandra and Eric, and I was like, hey, can we stay at your house again for like the fifth time in this process? And I knew they'd be like, hey, yeah. And in some ways, like, though it was kind of disorienting once again, and I don't know where half my clothes are and all this stuff, it was also really encouraging to kind of be around community, particularly in light of everything that's going on in my life. It was like, oh, yeah, there are people here that genuinely love me, and I love them as well. And a lot of this came because of years of me and Natalie and others fighting for community, but it's also coming as they're fighting for me in this season as well. And so I'm kind of rambling here, but I really want us to get this point. Like, are y'all feeling what I'm saying? Like, I need you. And that's not hyperbolic to say. Like, like I need you and you need us as well. And like we need each other if we are going to endure this race until the end. And it's easy for us to stay hidden, family of God, so that we will not be touched by other people's sins. Like it's easy for us to stay hidden so that the sin of other people cannot hurt us. And while that may be true in the midst of our hidden condition, you will not be touched by other people's sin, but you also will not be touched by other people's Christ-likeness. And if you're hidden, yes, you may be away from the negative effects of people, but you're also gonna be away from the positive effects of people, and you're gonna be away from how they are like Christ to you and help you become more like Christ, family. Like, we need each other in the midst of this. And so, sure, hiding will avoid other people's sins, but you're gonna miss Christ in the midst of your hiding as well. And just like darkness cannot exist where light is, so other believers, they bring the light of Christ. And so yes, there's possibility for hurt, but there's also possibility for gospel explosion and for deliverance too, because light always outshines darkness. Don't care what the world's saying right now. Check it in your life. And so point one is do not isolate from God's people. Solomon, David's son, he saw this in David's life. So he's this man of wisdom. And in Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine, he says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So he's like, look, like one person might stand, like if somebody's coming to fight, like man, that dude might be about that business, right? So like if you're trying to scrap with me, like I'm kind of verse 12, like I'm probably gonna endure, right? But if I have another person, we're for sure gonna endure this, right? And a threefold, so like, listen, it's better to have community for the fight of the life that we tend to find ourselves in. And it's good to have it in good seasons. In verse nine, like the blessing that comes with community, it tastes better when there are other people to enjoy that with you. It also is good in hard seasons where we can lift each other up and keep each other warm. Like we need the presence of Christ. And when we give that to each other, that is the opposite of hell, family of God. It is what we will experience for eternity. Last point on this first point, back to the Psalm. Notice what David's reward is, right? Verse seven, B. He says, although he's alone now, he's longing for the day when he's back with the saints again. Like Psalm 133, right? Throw that slide back up there, if you will, for me. Like there's beauty, okay, in God's family, saints of Christ. Like there's beauty here. There's beauty when we do this life with one another. Be around God's people, y'all. 
don't isolate from them because there's something sacred that happens when we are. And some of us, though, I do believe, to the second point, we are around God's people, but we're really hiding in plain sight, y'all. And so the second form of isolation that I think comes is isolation from confession. This is a form of hell on earth as well, and it is also a form of hell in your very own soul. When you are isolating from confession, you may be around a lot of other people, but you're not really around anybody in the process. Psalm chapter 32, verses one through four, says this. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Selah. A lot of Christians, I believe, are living in a sort of verse three and four world because they don't believe the truth of verses one and two. Right? Like, like there's blessing or there's happiness, or there's joy when sin is no longer covered, when we're confessing, like verse three says, to God and to one another, then there's freedom, and there's joy, and there's deliverance when, when we're not hiding, but when we are being transparent to one another. And so many of us may not physically be in a cave hiding away from God and God's people, but spiritually, we are in a cave hiding away from God and God's people. We're not confessing, we're hiding our sin, experiencing isolation, and this sort of experience is actually hell inside of our soul, family. Like God's heavy hand of conviction upon us, our strength being dried up, the heat of the summer, right? We're in it, we know what that's like, we know what David's writing about here, right? Like that's what it feels like because of a lack of confession. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he is light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I mean, would y'all notice this, right? Like, like John just like, like Jesus, just like David in Psalm 133 from a couple of weeks ago, this cleansing of sin, he says, this is called salvation. But he uses this phrase in the exact same breath as talking about fellowship with saints. In fact, for John, he talks about fellowship before he even talks about salvation with God. And so as we confess, what happens is, is we're experiencing the reverse of the fall. Just like Adam and Eve, they, they sinned and they begin to blame each other and they, hide, they hid in the midst of all of this chaos. Christ has freed us from that, y'all, where we do not have to hide with one another anymore or before one another. And we also do not have to cast blame on other people in the midst of our sinfulness or our brokenness. We can accept the fact that yes, we are broken and fallen creatures, but because of the blood of Christ, we can be restored and we can have that grace with one another as we confess to each other, family. This is what John is highlighting. James chapter five, verse 16. It says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you will be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If we hide our sins, we will never be free. 
If you hide your sin, you will never be free. And you can have all the community that you want, y'all, but nobody will be loving the true version of you. Like, you're, you're faking it, and you know that in your own heart, all right? And therefore, you can't truly feel the love and the grace of community because you're not giving your true self to your community. So you know they're loving a fake version of you, and so you don't receive the love of Christ because you're in isolation. Don't do that, that is a form of hell, family of God. Listen, like, like this is not life, y'all. This isolation from community, it's death, and I don't want that for you guys. I do not want death. Tim Keller, a pastor and author in New York, he says this. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. Like it's comforting, but you know that it's fake, right? Uh, to be known and not loved, that's our greatest fear. Like if we knew the true you but then did not love you, like that is what Satan actually does. That's the greatest fear that we have. But to be known, or but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. Think about this in my own life. Uh, my first mentor, his name was Chad Frank. And I remember sitting down with him as a freshman in college and we had been like going through discipleship stuff for probably about like five or six months at this point. And we're sitting down at McDonald's and you know, he, I'm a broke college student so he buys me some fries and he's a broke college director so he can't afford much more than that, right? But uh, I'm sitting there eating the fries and we're kind of like talking. I'm just expecting like, hey, what you been reading in the word? How you been doing with, you know, whatever. And we sit down and he's like, hey man, like I've just felt this like burden on you. Um, I want you to confess to me like, what's the worst thing that you've ever done in your life? And y'all look y'all, like as he said it, something came in my head like right away. And I was like, yeah, nah dog, we ain't talking about that. <laughs> And he was like, listen, I think it'd be really freeing, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, like I said, we, we literally ain't talking about that, you know? And he was like, well, that's cool. We just not gonna meet today then. And I was like, all right, bet. Thank you for my fries, dog, <laughs> right? Like, and he literally got up to start leaving. I was like, hey, hold on, like, what? Like, we just, what do you mean? And he's like, I just don't think you believe that God loves you because of this dark thing that you've done. And I don't even know what it is, but I can see you struggling with God's love for you. I don't think you've ever experienced forgiveness there. Like, you know it intellectually, but you've never received it experientially. And so I'm sitting there, it's about 40 minutes, I really don't wanna confess. And finally I was like, whatever, I'm just gonna confess, this dude might leave me. And I share something that you know, happened like in middle school, high school, and was kind of sharing some stuff and just start weeping. And he's just looking at me and I'm like, this is terrible. And then I get done and he just said, hey man, like, like I want you to know I really love you. First of all, I've seen Christ work in your life. You're not that person anymore, God has changed you. But second of all, even if not, like I would still be here for you and I love you and if I as a broken man would love you like this, how much more can a perfect God love you? And I was like, <laughs> I fell apart, y'all. I remember some dude looking at me at McDonald's, stop looking at me, dog, like I'll bite your tail, right? I fell apart, y'all, okay? And it was really, really beautiful. Like confession, it's really freeing, y'all. Now listen, okay, I tell that, but I know that the temptation that the devil wants to place inside of your heart even right now, 
The temptation is, well, yeah, that was cool, but like that was you confessing like what happened in high school. Like, like if you only knew what I was going through now, if you knew the sin that was in my life right now, or even the sin that I did back then, it was, it's so gross. Like, like I don't know if you would be able to accept me if they only knew. Um, and the funny thing is, is you're right. Like there may be consequences for your sin, family, this is true. Uh, but while Satan is making you hide for fear of the consequences in your life, what he's neglecting to tell you is that in transparency, there's deliverance and freedom. So you're hiding to escape the consequences, which it feels safe in the moment, but you're really hiding in a pigsty of sin with fierce wolves all around you. And that's not life, family of God. That's the opposite of life. And when you come out, like, yes, you may feel embarrassed because of the messiness of the sin that is in your life. But if you're around true gospel community, then what they will do is they will wash you with the righteousness of Christ and they will give you a place in the family of God again where you will feel clean and protected no longer in the messiness of sin. Like they can help you with deliverance of sin, family. Like, like when you confess, and when people choose to love you anyway, man, there's something unbelievable about that. Because what they're doing is they're beginning to love the true you. And yes, they can take from you, but what they can also do is they can begin to make you more holy. And as they love you into a version of what Christ is trying to create within you, you experience freedom like you never have in your life before. I walked out of McDonald's that day, like 15 pounds lighter, even though I ate some McDonald's, right? Like the deliverance that I felt was transformational and it began to send me into really receiving the love of God. And so do not hide in plain sight, family. It's not good for your soul. Back to Psalm, because David hits on this point. Verses five through six, David talks about his portion, okay? Here's my portion is what David says. He says, it's God. Right? God is his refuge. God is his portion. God is his God. And so if you do not have God, family, then you can confess all day long, but that confession isn't really gonna mean a whole lot because God is the only one that can truly cleanse your soul. God is the only one that can truly bring deliverance into your life. This sin that, that persecutes you, it is too heavy for any man to carry except the Son of God himself. And so we need God as our portion amongst the land of the living. But, but once we have God as our portion, what David finishes with is the prospect, like what we can get because God is truly our portion. And so verse seven, David lands with him escaping this mental prison that he's in. He says that the righteousness are surround, the righteous ones, they're surrounding him. They become this deliverance for him. They, they deal bountifully with him. That word bounty, it just means blessing or riches or benefits or generosity. The righteous will surround you and bestow upon you the fullness of things that it seems like only Christ himself can give you. Blessing, 
fullness, joy, peace. The righteous ones are actually the ones that are delivering it as if they are Christ themselves. When we're in true community with one another and we do not hide ourselves, then darkness cannot prevail and we begin to be the aroma and the presence of Christ dealing bountifully with one another. And in that bounty, there's deliverance and there's joy, family of God. We need that from each other. And so do not hide in plain sight, but confess and let the righteous ones surround you. The last point, and we'll move through this really quickly, is that we can isolate by not seeking counsel uh, from one another. Proverbs chapter 18, verse one, says whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So to be really quick and really direct here, because we'll actually talk about this a ton the last week, but it's important here too, is that you could be present and you can even be confessing your sin, but then not listen to the counsel around you as they try to point you towards godliness, and this is a form of hiding too, y'all. This is hiding in plain sight still, because in hell, there will be no counsel. In hell, you will be trying to counsel and comfort yourself, and so when we begin to practice that on earth, we're experiencing the exact reverse of heaven, and so a lot of us can be tempted to be like, hey, like, like, like love me, but, but never help me be who God is making me to be by sanctifying me, and that is isolation. You are not being loved for the true you because the true you is not the person who's sitting here today. The true you is what Christ is making you into that you will experience in eternity, but we're meant to push each other towards that even today, y'all. And so we should be loving the version of what Christ is doing inside of us. And I wanna say this, y'all, we do not have to live like this, like we're living in a Genesis three type of world. Because here's the true beauty of this whole entire Psalm is that Christ himself is the fulfillment of this Psalm, family of God. Go back to Psalm 142, and I wanna throw it all on the screen again, but I want you to begin to realize that what David is experiencing is just a tiny sliver of what Christ really went through himself. He says, with his voice, he cries out to the Lord. Did not Christ do this while he was in the garden and on the cross? With his voice, he pled to the Lord for mercy. He poured out his complaint before the Lord. He told of his trouble before the Lord. Yes, David was doing this in part, but Christ was doing this in full. Christ's spirit is the one that fainted inside of him as he gave up his spirit while he died on the cross. And Christ is the one who knew that a trap was being laid out for him, but walked right into that trap anyway. Christ is the one that looks to his right and only sees thieves and no longer are his disciples following, but everybody leaves this savior of the universe in isolation as he is paying for those very sins that he is pouring out his soul on the cross, he's alone. The scripture makes very, very clear of that. And he cries out to God and says, God, you are my refuge and, and you are my portion. Attend to my cry for I am brought very low, but God did not attend to Jesus's cry. Jesus says, deliver me from my persecutors for they are too strong for me. That actually wasn't true for Christ. It says he could have called down a legion of angels to destroy them and yet he submits to the persecutors as if they are too strong. Christ experiences the fullness of Psalm 142. Why? Family of God. So that the righteous ones may surround him. Verse seven. And who are the righteous ones? 
you and me. What? Like, like what? Like you and I, who have no righteousness in ourselves, one day might now surround Christ with the righteousness that did not come from us, it came from him, and yet now we are in perfect righteousness and we surround Christ as the fulfillment of this psalm. Revelation chapter seven, verse nine says that we looked and behold, there was a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. We are standing before the throne and then John goes on to point out, it's clear we're around the throne, we're surrounding Christ and we literally are dressed in white robes, which shows off our righteousness with victory branches in our hands. In the kingdom of God, you will be surrounded by many and you will be righteous because the righteous one laid down his life for you and you and I can begin to experience the kingdom of God today, family. We can experience it today in our lives as we try to act this out with people around us. And so I pray that we would be a church that always seeks true community, that we would always seek to not isolate, but to dive right into one another. For isolation is what Satan purchased for you. Community is what Christ purchased for you. I pray you would always choose the purchases of Christ, family of God. I love you guys. Let's pray together. Christ, our righteous one, uh, with the gospel point fresh on our minds, I pray that you would help us to worship you, Jesus. That we would see the works of the cross not as some ethereal good to be received, not as some escape from, from some eternal separation. We would see it literally as a benefit even today that we would recognize it's not what you saved us from that is beautiful, it's what you are saving us into. Yes, the, the removal of isolation, the, the removal from, from this kind of hellish experience now and forever, like that is the work of you on the cross and we worship that, but it's not just the, the that's not the greatest piece of your work. Your deliverance into the righteousness of who you are, into community with one another, into each other's lives, into the ability to confess and to not hide and to receive the love, like that is the beauty of the gospel. And so Christ, I pray that each of us would truly receive that. I pray that we would recognize what you are, are, are alluring us into, what you're trying to pull us into, that we don't have to experience Psalm 32. We don't have to experience Psalm 142, that we can experience Psalm 133, the blessing of who you are over and over and over again. I pray we'd believe that, Christ, that we would fight for that with and for one another, with and for our own hearts and souls. Help us to experience that, Christ. Jesus, I pray for those in this room who may not have a relationship with you. Friend, I want you to know that relationship with God is really the only thing that matters. 
at the isolation that you may feel in your heart, in your soul, from God, from others, the lack of true love that you're experiencing, all of this is found in Christ. But as we follow this Jesus and as we pursue this Jesus, we get love. We get righteousness. We get Christ. Pray it today. You would even make a decision to follow Jesus with your life. To say, I want this Christ. I don't even understand everything, but like I know that I need that sort of love and I want to follow that. Man, Christ is yours. As you pray, it's simple prayers. God, I want to follow you. Like, like he invites you into this relationship with him. And as you journey in that relationship, you are, are swimming in the depths of Christ's love. And as we experience that love, man, we get to begin to continually emulate that for one another. And so, Christ, I pray for all of us who have accepted you as our Savior, who is following you as our Lord. Would we experience the fullness of your love, Christ? But would we experience that not just when we read the word by ourselves, not just when we pray by ourselves, would we experience it as we do community with one another, as we confess our sins, we remind each other of the goodness of you, God. We show each other the fullness of Christ. As we listen to counsel, as we fight for community, help us to see just how beautiful you and your works truly are. Praise in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.